Father, we know that is indeed the response of those who have come to know you by grace. We fall down and we cry out, you are holy. Lord God of heaven, I pray today as we bow in your presence that you might meet with us in a powerful way, that you might speak to hearts. Knowing everyone's need, Lord, I pray that you'll speak according to that need and that you'll touch and change their soul, including my own. May this worship experience today be more than just coming to church on Sunday. May it be a real and genuine encounter with the living God. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen, amen. Many years ago, there was a missionary who left Scotland to work in the island of the New Hebrides, now called Vanuatu. In fact, we have a missionary serving, a missionary family serving on uh, one of those islands. But John Patton went to the New Hebrides in a time when it was filled with individuals who had not been civilized and were known as cannibals. Other missionaries had attempted to reach those islands and were unsuccessful losing their lives. But John went with his wife. Can't remember if they took their little child with them or the child was born in the islands, but it was a very difficult time. They were able to reach shore, build a little hut, and barely protect themselves from the natives who didn't understand what the white people were doing there. In time, John's wife got sick and died and the child got sick and died and he buried them in the sands of the shore and slept on their graves so the villagers wouldn't come exhume the bodies and eat them. But he stayed. And he continued to preach the gospel and he learned their language. Finding a friendly uh, native there, they were able to point to objects and he built a vocabulary and began to speak to them. After years, he was able in their own language to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And many came to Christ. In fact, near the end of his ministry there, almost the entire island had been won to Christ. Amazing story. He said, when I came to the New Hebrides, all you could hear were the sounds of the drums calling people to war. And when I left, all you could hear were the sound of church bells calling people to worship. You know, that's really our goal. We are to seek to win people to Christ and make them worshipers. Whatever else they've been doing to elevate them to the very purpose for which they were created. And that purpose is very simple. You were made to worship God. And in worshiping him you find your fulfillment. In worshiping him there is deep settled joy. So we're going to talk about worship again this morning. And we're again going to go to John chapter 4. Let me encourage you to open your Bibles to the gospel according to John and chapter 4. You say, Pastor, don't you know anything else? We have been in John 4 already two Sundays and now we're back again. Well, I hope that we might be able to glean something else and even learn something more from this rich chapter. Let me give you the background of the story. 
the story is of Jesus traveling north to the Galilee and he's tired along his journey and going through the land of Samaria along with his disciples they he Jesus sits down by the well to rest while they the disciples go into the town to get food as Jesus is sitting by the well a woman comes at noon to draw water and he asks of a Samaritan woman a drink which is a bit of a problem because the Jews and Samaritans didn't get along and Jesus said to her, verse 10, John 4, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, you have nothing to draw with from the well. Jesus said later on, verse 13, Whoever drinks of the water from this well will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman wanting to change the subject because things were getting rather personal began to talk about just worship in general. You Jews talk about one place to worship. We talk about another place to worship. Jesus also pinpointed a very a difficult area in her life where she had, had broken relationships and had been with many men but continued to seek satisfaction and, and somehow joy in life from these relationships. But Jesus told her the most important thing is to worship God. Verse 22, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is from the Jews but the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all these things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I am Messiah. We've talked a little bit about the subject of worship from this portion of scripture but this morning I want to talk a little bit more about how worship works from John chapter 4. And it works this way. Basically three words describe the process and I want you to remember those important three words. The first word is the word revelation. Revelation. It comes from a Latin word that means to unveil or to disclose. Something previously hidden is now made known or revealed. It was invisible, now it's visible. The first step in worship is revelation. And by that I mean God revealing himself to us. So that we might know who he is. When you think about it, God is creator. He is infinite. We are finite. And we know nothing about God except that which he tells us. That which he reveals to us. We're in the dark. There's no way that we under our own power, by our own ingenuity, by our own intellects, could even collectively as a race put together all of our knowledge and come up with who God is. At best, 
we would have every altar in the world inscribed with those words that Paul saw in Athens, Acts chapter 7, to the unknown God. As man makes his attempt to try to describe God, to try to understand God, to try to envision God, he's always wrong. And what we need is top-down revelation. We need God to reveal to us exactly who he is. We could never know him unless he took the initiative. Isn't it a mercy that God who created us also wanted to communicate to us? And the God who communicates to us wants to commune with us, have fellowship with us. He created man to have fellowship with him. And the Bible tells us in the New Testament we have been called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing about God being so great, so majestic, as was read this morning from Psalm 29. His voice breaks the cedars. It moves the mountains. It creates worlds. This God says, I want to know you. And I want to know you. And I want to reveal myself to you. And you'll never know God unless he does. There are at least two types of revelation we could describe more in a nuanced way, but in general, two types of revelation. There is natural revelation, or sometimes called general revelation, and there is special revelation or supernatural revelation. Natural revelation is the nature around us. Natural re revelation is open to everyone. It's universal. That's why it's called general. It's found in verses like these. Psalm 19. The heavens declare what? The glory of God. And the skies, the firmament, shows forth his handiwork. Day unto day they utter speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. The heavens reveal and declare and disclose the glory of Almighty God. So as it says in Isaiah chapter 6, the whole world is filled with His glory. It's all there. In every nook and cranny. General revelation speaks and it doesn't stop speaking. It speaks day after day after day. Added to that, we have a portion of Scripture in Romans chapter 1 that says something very interesting about this natural revelation. It says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even His eternal power and His Godhead, the Trinity. Although man didn't know God, or when they knew God, they wouldn't glorify him as God, and they weren't thankful, that's when their foolish hearts became darkened. And they began to worship the creature instead of the creator. So even in creation, there is enough light, there is enough revelation, there is enough knowledge that is disposed, that is given to us, to make us knowledgeable that there is a powerful God in heaven. And even to understand something of the inner workings 
of the Godhead. So that all people are without excuse. Now, natural revelation cannot save you. It can only condemn you. It only makes you accountable. It only informs you to the place where now you've got to do something because now you know there is a God. He has revealed himself. It's also interesting to note that in this revelation that God gives, man often turns his eyes away and says, no, I don't want to see it. Comes up with other explanations for it. I mean, I am astounded at the theories that are coming up with the existence of the universe. Now we know that it's a different type of Big Bang and, and universes colliding. And, and I don't know how much some of that has happened, but I do know this. That's not the beginning of all things. In the beginning, God created. He wants to use a process that's fine with him. <laughs> but God creates. He's before it all. And he's the one who reveals himself to us. The scriptures tell us that it's the word of God that will give us light. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Not just the way I walk, but the way I think. It's the scriptures that gives light. Listen to these words from Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians this is 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'll begin reading with verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, Paul said, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages, even for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age understood, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. That's revelation. So the God of majesty and glory and power is a God who longs to communicate and reveal truth to us, reveal himself to us, and he does it through the work of the Spirit, and he continues to do it over and over and over again. Constantly. There is general revelation that is nature revealed to all. Then there is special revelation it's sometimes called supernatural revelation. And that revelation doesn't always touch everyone. But it's special revelation because it's the result of a miracle. The miracle of inspiration and the miracle of incarnation. What's the miracle of inspiration? 2 Timothy chapter 2 tells us that the Bible is the God-breathed book. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. He's the author. All scripture is God-breathed and it's profitable. In the Old Testament, God gave his word to the prophets. And, and in the New Testament, he gave his word to the apostles. And that has been inscripturated, written down, recorded, and put in a book we call the Bible. And this is the real... The word of God, the revealed heart and mind of God, special, supernatural revelation. And you cannot know God apart from this book. 
Oh, you can know some things about God in general revelation, but as I said, that will not save you. It will only condemn you. It will only make you accountable. And that's why so many people who don't have special revelation are seeking to know the God, the force, the whatever it is, who made all of this, who made us, and they don't even know how to approach him. That's why we need missionaries to take the special revelation of God and take the good news of Christ to those who have never heard. You cannot know Christ unless you understand special revelation. So the Bible is the inspired word of God revealed to us. But there's also incarnation. That is, Jesus Christ is the word revealed to us, right? John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And verse 13 or 14 The word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that in these last days God has spoken to us by his son. Jesus is God's last word. And so the apostles write about the life of Christ and inscripturated. And the last book of the New Testament says, don't add to this. It's complete. It is sufficient. Here is God revealed to you in this precious book. What does John 4 reveal to us about God? Look at verse 24. God is spirit. Wouldn't have known that if it weren't for the Bible. God is spirit, and the right way to worship him is in spirit, from your heart, and in truth. There's a proper way to respond to this knowledge about God, but it's revealed to us. What does John 4 reveal to us about Jesus? Verse 26, I'm the the Messiah, I'm the Christ. The woman said, I know Messiah is coming, and Jesus said, you're looking at him. What a great moment that must have been. I would love to see that transpire in real time. Here I am. Or he might have just said, I am. Taking us back to the Old Testament, right? Moses, I am that I am is what God said to Moses. Tell people this is my name, I am. And Jesus says, I am. And throughout the Gospel of John, he says, I am. It couldn't be any clearer. He is God incarnate and that's how God has revealed himself to us but you can't know Christ without knowing the Bible remember the name Albert Schweitzer famous missionary uh, did a lot of good in the world uh, became popular I think didn't even win a Pulitzer Prize or something I mean noted by the world Schweitzer once said this, the historical Jesus, in other words, the real Jesus, the one who actually lived, the historical Jesus is elusive and mysterious as ever. He comes to us as one unknown and without a name. (laughs) Albert, my friend, I'm sure you did many great things, but that is the stupidest thing you ever said. What do you mean he comes to us without a name? His name is Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. His name is, or 
office is the Messiah, the sent and anointed one of God. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. What do you mean you don't know his name? Read the book. It's revealed right here. Now, if you try to understand Jesus outside of the Bible, there's no hope. But here it is, revealed to us. Isn't that amazing? And the first step of worship has to be not from us to God, but God to us. And he's already taken that step. He's revealed himself to us. That is amazing. The second step is this word recognition. Recognition. Now we quoted from Romans chapter 1 about uh, the heavens actually revealing the invisible attributes of God. They're made visible by this wonderful creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. The whole earth is full of his glory. But remember in Romans 1, it said, although they knew God, they would not glorify him as God. So they would not recognize it they would not understand and embrace and believe it and that's where many people trip up God has revealed himself but many people will not recognize it for this woman there was a moment of recognition again quickly go over her biography she is a woman that has been beaten down by life. She's coming midday to draw from the well. What tedious work. What hot work. And in the heart, there's a burden. When she talks about worship, she's confused. When she talks about family, she's broken. And now there's hope. I know when Messiah comes, he'll help us with all these things. Jesus said, I'm the Messiah. Notice verse 28. The woman then left her water pot. I would like to make a little more of that symbolically than maybe I should. Sounds to me like repentance. It sounds to me like her leaving her old way of life. Kicking the water pot over. Dropping it on the ground. Maybe it even breaks. But she totally forgets about it and runs back into the city. She went her way into the city and she said to the man, Come and see a man. Knowing this woman's history, that might have been a very unusual phrase. Hey, I found another man. Come and see a man. Oh, yeah, we've heard that before. Not another invitation to another wedding. Come see a man. Oh, you're really good at finding others. No, no, no. Come see a man who's told me everything I ever did. He's exposed my brokenness. He's pointed out my sin. Could this not be the Christ? And maybe it's even more than a question. I'm convinced this is the Christ. Recognition. Now some of you come to worship and there's the revelation of God all around you and you don't get it. You're still in the dark. I used to get that quite often when I was in school in a tough math class. And the teacher would explain it, and light bulbs were going on in the class. I understand it. There was always that kid up in the front row who always understood everything. 
And then the rest of us, slowly light bulbs are going out. And, and I could look around and see people getting it. And I was there, and I didn't get it. Isn't that a frustrating situation? Have you ever been there? I don't get it. They tell a joke, and everyone laughs. And you laugh because everyone else is laughing. But you say to yourself, I don't get it. And you don't want to say anything because you feel dense. <laughs> well, there's a lot of people who don't want to say anything, but they don't get God. They don't get it. They're still in the dark. Jesus put it this way, the Father has hidden these truths that he has revealed to the arrogant, to the intellectually arrogant, but he's revealed them to little children, meaning to humble people who take the truth in as a child. Maybe that's why you don't get it. Maybe you're too full of yourself. Maybe you're still worshiping yourself. Do you want to get it? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Maybe you've got to do a little more seeking. The revelation is out there. Now, you need what is called the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Revelation describes the objective event where the Holy Spirit reveals the glory of God in nature or scripture. That's an objective thing. Illumination refers to a subjective event or experience where the Holy Spirit enlightens your soul and your mind so you can see what is revealed. And some people go to church all of their lives and they never get it. But if you seek him while he may be found and you seek him with a hungry heart, the hungry will be filled, the thirsty will be satisfied. It's not that God wants to keep you in the dark. You've got to seek him. Suppose uh, I were to... You, I were to take you to an art museum. And uh, we go into this one room. Let's make it big. Let's say we're going to see the Mona Lisa. And sometimes you'll go and the Mona Lisa will not be revealed that day. It's not on display and so you can't see anything. But if you can, um, there it is in all of its beauty. By the way, the painting reveals the artist. Creation reveals the creator in the same way. You learn a lot about the artist by looking at the painting. But suppose we go into the painting and there it is revealed for all to see, but you're wearing a blindfold. And I say, boy, look at the texture. Look at that amazing picture. This is one of the, one of the greatest, most well-known paintings in all of the world. And you say, I don't get it. I can't see it. Well, it's right there. Take the blinders off. And then you see. One is revelation. There's the picture. The other is recognition. You've got to take the blinders off. Which means you've got to come to the Lord in faith. Listen to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but it did not profit them, 
because it wasn't mixed with faith. Same sermon, same place. Same service, and you don't get it. And others do. Why not mix faith with what God has revealed? Seek him while he may be found. Mix faith with what you hear. Believe. Oh, but men love darkness rather than light, illumination, because their deeds are evil. They want to hide in the darkness. And although what may be known about God has been revealed to them, they deny it. And they worship and serve the creature instead of the creator who is blessed forever. Is that you? Running from worshiping God, you were made to worship him. He's told you who you are. Recognize it. And I'm convinced of this. When someone comes under the powerful recognition of who God is, they have to worship. You have to. You have to. Oh, you might know a few facts about God, but the glory of God, the majesty of God has not struck your soul because when you see God in his glory, you must worship. And that's what scares me. So many people come to church week after week after week and they're convinced with a little bit of revelation, or they're, they're, they're happy with a little bit of revelation. They're content with knowing a little bit about God Never changes them. That's scary. That's scary. There's one third word, and here it is there's revelation, there's recognition, there's response. In fact, worship is revelation, recognition, I get it, and response. And when you get it, you respond. What did this woman do by way of response? She went running back into the city and told her friends, could this not be the Christ? He's told me everything about my life. If you jump down to verse 39, many of the Samaritans of the city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified that he told me everything I ever did. Verse 40, so when the Samaritans had come to Jesus, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two more days. Little Bible conference. Wouldn't that have been great? Hey, Jesus, tell us about God. Two days of it. Taking notes for all their worth. Loving the preaching. The laughter. The prayer. The insight. And then we read in verse 41, and many more believed because of his own word. They believed in the beginning because of whose word? The woman. The testimony of the woman. Now, verse 41, they believe because of the word of Christ. In fact, they said to the woman in verse 42, now we believe not just because of what you said, but we ourselves have heard it. And we know that this is indeed the Christ the Savior of the world. Recognition. We know who he is. And so what do they do? They go on and spread the word. It's exactly what the woman did. Her response was 
a logical response in light of her recognition based on the revelation of who God is. She went to tell the ones who were near and dear to her that here's the Christ. Recognition and response. First 11 chapters of Romans are all about the mercy of God And when you recognize God's love and his mercy and his justice, then you come to the response in Romans 12.1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, the first 11 chapters, to devote yourselves, to give your body as a living sacrifice, which is the only rational response to who God is. That's worship. Happens every day. Happens collectively when we gather together as a church like right now, your life should be all about worship. How's your response? How's your response? What what is your response to worship? Praise? Coming together with believers and singing? We were richly blessed by some fantastic music today, weren't we? Did we give fantastic music to God? Did you sing with all of your heart? You say, Pastor, you don't know how bad a singer I am. I've been next to you, I know. (laughs) Or the people next to you know. But that's not the point. The point is, do you sing with your heart in praise to God as a response? For I see him. I see the king in his beauty. I see him, the one who came to die for me. I see him. And I must worship. Little snow on the ground, forget it, I'm there. Not feeling the greatest, unless I'm dead, I'm there. Bit of an exaggeration, but the point is you want to be worshiping with the people of God. That's your response. Your response is evangelism. That's John chapter 4. Your response is service. What can I do? It's amazing to me that sometimes our church is hurting for people to serve. I don't get it. Because if we're a bunch of worshipers, there should be plenty of servants. But maybe there aren't as many worshipers as we thought. We need to love him, see him, know him, and worship him. With a response of faith. With all of our heart. A guy by the name of Fred Bostain. Was a committed Christian. Faithful. He was. I suppose. Middle age. But there was something in worship that Fred didn't like. He didn't like people raising their hands in worship. It was not his thing. But he thought it was just too much of a showmanship thing. So it's not that he didn't just, he didn't do it. It was that when others did it, it kind of bothered him a little bit. Then one day he was watching a documentary on World War II. There was a battle. American soldiers were surrounded by Germans. And the Germans were barking out orders in their own language. And the English text was at the bottom. The soldiers said... Lay down your arms of resistance and put up your hands in surrender. And you've seen the documentaries. 
where the captured prisoners are walking out with their hands up and their guns down. And then it hit him. Maybe I don't feel comfortable in worship raising my hands, but you know, that's really what worship is all about. Lay down your arms of rebellion against King Jesus and put up your hands in total surrender. Now, if you watch me in worship, and you shouldn't be, <laughs> you're not going to see my hands usually get very high above my head. They do occasionally. And I'm not asking all of you to raise your hands Except in your heart, surrender to King Jesus. If your hands go up, fine. If they don't go up, fine. But in your heart, you need to lay down your arms of resistance and say, King Jesus, I love you. I serve you. I worship you. And that's the way worship works. Let's pray. Father in heaven, remind us of these three words throughout the week that worship is based on revelation. It involves recognition, and true recognition always will lead to a response, the response of faith, obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.